And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day with all kinds of great good news. Actually, here's something you don't hear all the time. The Republicans in Congress within the last 24 hours doing some very smart and constructive things, really, uh, including uh, some selections for leadership. We will get to that, but it's very reassuring and very much a step in the right direction. And I got to say, hurrah, well done, uh, elected surviving Republicans after this disappointing midterms election. Oh, speaking of the disappointing midterms election, what a magical moment at Mar-a-Lago. That's uh, alliterative. That's lovely. Magical moment at Mar-a-Lago. You've seen all the headlines about uh, President Trump's basically enchanting speech last night. It was 108 minutes, uh, and, and that's the actual speech. That doesn't count the moments of applause that he took and the, and the, the tributes to him and when he brought Melania out and she got applause. It's uh, question is, it's now so close to the election, uh, 720 days. <laughs> no, what's it? It's it's almost laughable. This has never happened before, uh, where there is a formal campaign, an official campaign, which was launched last night, uh, two years before the next election. 720 days. How long can the magic last? 1-800-955-1776. We'll take a look at some of the substance of uh, President Trump's speech. They're talking about changing MAGA to MAGAGA, which uh, is like, I guess, echoes Lady Gaga. It echoes, uh, it echoes the biblical uh, monster, really, Magog, uh, which is uh, included in some books of prophecy. But it's MAGA because it's make America great and glorious again. We'll take a look at some of that glory. But first of all, it's always a good thing when World War III is postponed. I mean, it's just not happening. The uh, announcement today, and it's from the Polish president. And of course, since Poland was the country that was hit by those two stray missiles yesterday, uh, you, you've got to take the Polish president's statement, I think, uh, very directly. And uh, what he said is that the stray missile that killed two in Poland and destroyed a grain processing plant is highly likely to have been follow fired by Ukraine. And that's also confirmed by Western leaders, including President Biden, this, of course, eases fears uh, very dramatically of a World War III-style uh, escalation, where under Article 5 of the NATO Charter, there would be a requirement for the other NATO countries to uh, go to war, if necessary, to protect Poland. Uh, the um, The... President of Poland says the blame still lies with Putin, whose rocket blitz sparked the air defense misfire. In other words, what it appears to be now 
is that Russia, as we all know, had sent more than 100 missiles uh, to uh, Lviv and even to the vicinity of Kiev, the capital, and uh, trying to wipe out infrastructure to take away uh, electrical service. And there are some reports that as much as 70% of Ukraine was denied electrical service because of these attacks. And uh, the uh, uh, rocket blitz then sparked some air defense fire from Ukraine, and they have pretty good air defense equipment, thanks to the United States and the West. But uh, they knocked down some missiles, and they were over Poland uh, before they had reached Ukraine. A highly probable the rocket which hit Poland yesterday, killing two, was fired by Ukraine. The Polish president says no evidence the strike was deliberate, he added, and Russia bears ultimate responsibility for starting the war and sending this rocket attack. The uh, Ludovic de Donner, who is the Belgian defense minister, said preliminary investigations by his security forces also indicate it was a Ukrainian missile with Biden said to have told NATO leaders the same thing. That eases fears of escalation that could cause World War III, but underlines the growing, ongoing risk as the Ukrainian conflict continues. Vladimir Zelensky had blamed it on Russian missile terror and is yet to concede uh, the idea that it may be blamable on Russian missile terror, which he sent all over Ukraine, but that the specific uh, fallen missiles rockets that fell on Poland, even though they were a response to Russian missile terror, did not get fired by Russia. This is Biden telling a reporter uh, yesterday that it's unlikely the missile was actually launched from Russia. This is clip four. Do you really to say whether this missile was fired from Russia? There is preliminary information that contests that. I don't want to say that till we completely investigate. But it, it is, uh, I, 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 it's unlikely in the minds of the trajectory that it was fired from Russia. But we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, basically putting them off, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, of course, who speaks more authoritatively, General Lloyd Austin, uh, had this to say, and this is today, this is clip 28. We're still gathering information, but we have seen nothing that contradicts President Duda's preliminary assessment that this explosion was most likely the result of a Ukrainian air defense missile that unfortunately landed in Poland. And whatever the final conclusions may be, the world knows that Russia bears ultimate responsibility for this incident. And why? Because they fired <laughs> missiles and a whole bunch of them, over a hundred it says, uh, against Ukrainian civilians. And Ukraine was trying to defend itself. Uh, on MSNBC, Richard Haas, who's president of the Council on Foreign Relations, said that he never believed Russia was directly the source of the missile attack uh, that fell on Poland. Uh, this is what he had to say, 9.5. And if you're going to do an intentional attack, if you're Russia, 
and you're going to risk taking on NATO. And by the way, Russia can't defeat Ukraine. Why in the world would they take on NATO? Uh, it just makes zero, zero sense. Uh, so, yeah, it's it just there's no way this, I thought, could have been an intentional Russian uh, attack. I think the, the polls look studied, measured, which is what you want to look here. NATO looks good. Ukraine looks a little bit too hot. The idea that the Ukraine is saying this has to be a Russian, it almost looks as if they wanted this to, to be something more. So I think that's unfortunate, and that won't help their credibility. Uh, so, look, I think this, the only other lesson I take from this is anytime you've got a hot war, stuff happens, to use Mr. Rumsfeld's comment. The danger of escalation is somehow implicit, the danger of accidents. And again, it's, it's the reason you, you don't want to fly off the handle. When stuff happens, just, just get the facts and make sure you're responding to something that was actual and, if possible, intentional. Uh, you don't want to have inadvertent escalation here. So there's a little bit of a lesson uh, when something hot is going on. Okay, and uh, the fact that it's cooled down uh, good for the United States, uh, good for the world. Speaking of cooled down, uh, is there fever heat excitement about President Trump's new candidacy? The kind of excitement that can last and continue to sparkle and burn for another 720 days? Uh, well, Kevin Williamson, who's been uh, deeply critical of President Trump, says, hey, look, he can actually win this thing and be elected president again. How? We'll get to that with Kevin Williamson. Coming up on the Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved. I like him. He's a good man. He's a good person. It's so interesting to uh, hear that voice. We'll be hearing a lot of it 720 days away from the election for which uh, President Trump has already announced his candidacy. He did it last night. I, uh, I actually watched uh, the entire thing and then went back over and watched some highlights. We will talk about the uh, the exciting announcement of candidacy, which Trump had promised. And he sent out uh, material that said this was going to be the most important speech in all of American history. Actually, it said what may be the most important speech, most significant address in all of American history. I mean, go goodbye to the Gettysburg Address, goodbye to Roosevelt's Four Freedom Speech, goodbye to Kennedy's inaugural. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really? Uh, by the way, if, if there are folks out there who were excited by this, particularly excited, let me know what you believe was the most exciting aspect of the speech. Because... Um, not not to uh, be too harsh, but uh, listening to the 108 minutes uh, of speaking was a long time, which was uh, only covered. Actually, Fox News cut away from it. I uh, I was watching on C-SPAN, <laughs> which which is not what you want ideally. Uh, what? Uh, 
Uh, what was the most exciting aspect of that speech? 1-800-955-1776. I'll tell you what is exciting to me is uh, the uh, Senate Republicans voted this morning. They voted just hours ago uh, to elect Senator Mitch McConnell as their leader over National Republican Senatorial Committee Chair Rick Scott of Florida who announced his desire to replace McConnell at an acrimonious conference meeting yesterday. And uh, Rick Scott actually deserves a bunch of the blame for the Republicans underperforming because he had wanted to put forward something that I think is a basically a good idea, is a principles that Republican Senate candidates would unite around. And one of his principles was to raise taxes on poor people. And it's just wildly controversial. One of his principles was also to replace Medicare and Social Security, which was exactly what the Democrats were attacking at the end of the campaign. And there were very, very few senators other than Rick Scott who actually wanted that to be an issue or wanted to make that part of the agenda if the Republicans took over control of the Senate. Well, they didn't. And uh, a large majority of GOP senators voted to elect McConnell after a motion backed by Senator Ted Cruz and other conservatives to delay the leadership election until after the Georgia uh, Senate runoff, uh, that resolution failed. They wanted to get the uh, leadership taken care of. Uh, McConnell received 37 votes, while Scott received 10 votes. One senator voted present. Uh, we collectively, I think, had a good discussion about what happened in the election and what happens in the next election, McConnell said, after a more than three-hour meeting of the Senate Republican Conference in the old Senate chamber. I'm grateful for the opportunity to continue to serve. He's been um, majority leader or minority leader, as he is now, for a very long time. It's 15 years, which is longer than anybody else has held that post. And... Uh, Mitch McConnell, I, I think, is actually one of those people that I, it's very clear President Trump wants to replace him, and he has demanded the replacement of Mitch McConnell. But the truth is that the biggest accomplishments of the Trump administration were only made possible by Mitch McConnell. Getting those Supreme Court confirmations for Justice Gorsuch and uh, Justice Kavanaugh and Justice Barrett, getting those through the Senate took a brilliant tactician with very narrow Senate majorities to actually get that through. And he did it. And when it comes to the Trump tax reform, which actually lowered taxes on business and helped the economy, that was a very positive development that would not have been at all possible without Mitch McConnell and, yes, Paul Ryan, who helped to not only write the legislation but to get it passed. The, um, the story uh, about Scott's last-minute challenge to McConnell, it represented the toughest competition the senior Republican senator has faced for the top leadership job since he became Senate Minority Leader back in uh, 2007. Uh, Senator Tom Cotton and Senate Republican Conference Chair John Barrasso of Wyoming nominated McConnell to serve another two years as GOP leader 
Senator Ron Johnson of uh, Wisconsin, who just won a very tough uh, re-election race against Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. He was the one who nominated Scott. Uh, McConnell wound up winning by a comfortable margin, reports The Hill magazine, retaining the support of many GOP colleagues after he helped raise more than $300 million to help Republicans win back the Senate majority this election cycle. Uh, two outside groups affiliated with McConnell, the Senate Leadership Fund and One Nation, spent $363 million on Senate races, according to a person familiar with their fundraising record, significantly more than what Scott raised as head of Senate Republicans' campaign arm. Scott and other Senate Republican critics of McConnell's leadership style argued the Kentucky senator failed to give voters a clear picture of what the Republican governing agenda would be if the party won control of the Senate. Well, that's partially because if you are telling people who are going to be casting their votes, hey, uh, guess what, if we win, we're going to be debating getting rid of Social Security and getting rid of Medicare. I know, I know, it was going to be replaced. But this is uh, a, a wildly dangerous political strategy that uh, McConnell was right uh, to to uh, stay away from. Uh, otherwise, uh, they, there will be if if um, if Herschel Walker wins his runoff, and he could, it, he could. I'm not saying he will, but he could. They'll have 50 Republican seats, so they will have not net lost any seats. The big loss, of course, was the Fetterman campaign. And now, hilariously, there's a big piece in the New York Times about how the Democrats are looking for more Fettermans. So you want more drooling idiots, uh, really, to represent you? Uh, this, is, this is all put into perspective of the presidential campaign. Because we'll have a countdown. We have only 720 days to go. Uh, so... How is it that Trump is going to win? Uh, Kevin D. Williamson, national correspondent for The Dispatch, frequently a writer for Atlantic and more, has a column saying, yeah, Trump has a path to victory. So what is it exactly? We'll be talking about that to Kevin Williamson coming up on The Medved Show. Michael Medved Show. Kevin Williamson is the national correspondent for The Dispatch, and uh, he's the author of the best-selling book, which we've covered on this show with Kevin before. It's called Big White Ghetto, Dead Broke, Stone Cold Stupid, and High on Rage in the Dark, Woolly Wilds of the Real America. Uh, he has a column in the New York Times that's attracted a lot of attention because it takes uh, what is definitely a minority point of view. I mean, the the news this morning after Trump's big announcement, 720 days before the election, the um, the consensus appears to be he's going to have a very tough time winning this election. But um, Kevin uh, Boldy in the New York Times puts across the headline why Trump could win again. 
And what is it that has gone so well for President Trump in the last two years, uh, Kevin, that uh, leads to the conclusion that he could win again? Well, I don't think, politically speaking, the math is very complicated. He has really, really enthusiastic support from about, you know, 35 percent of Republicans, but those 35 percent of Republicans um, make up the majority in a lot of primary states. And if he should win the nomination, most Republicans will vote for Canatuna over a Democrat. So I think that um, while I don't think the most likely outcome is Trump being reelected president of the United States, I think that's still... Uh, pretty unlikely for a number of reasons. It's far from impossible, and did I say impossible? <laughs> far from impossible, <laughs> and um, and maybe not quite as unlikely as uh, as people think it is. You know, Trump's connection with the, um, the sort of really hardcore uh, Trump element is very, very personal. It's not something that's going to be easily transferable to Ron DeSantis or any other Republican candidate. And if you end up with uh, you know a, a field like you had in 2016, where you've got a whole lot of candidates uh, splitting up the vote, um, you know, having uh, having consistent, reliable, predictable support from 30, 40, 50 percent of Republican primary voters um, might get you the nomination. Do you think um, he will be actually helped himself uh, get closer to the nomination by announcing so very, very early? I mean, no, nobody else has, has done that. Uh, this is again, yeah. it's two full years. So isn't this going to get a little bit tiresome after a while? Well, I was tired of it in 2015, Michael. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a while. Um, I think that he, um, he didn't do himself any favors with the announcement. It was, as I think you suggest, ill-timed. It also just wasn't a particularly impressive speech. Um, wait, so wait. It, it, it was announced by the Trump. They sent out um, uh, emails to the entire world saying this was going to be the most significant speech in all of American history. Well, yeah, but he would he would send out that same email if he announced that uh, Truth Social were going public or he was bringing back, you know, <laughs> Trump steaks or, <laughs> or whatever it was. Uh, you know, I, I have expected him to walk up to the microphone and say, I'm switching to Geico and then, you know, just go away. But um, which would have been... <laughs> would have been the, the best announcement of, uh, of all imaginable announcements, I think. So, yeah, I think, you know, I wrote the column before the, the actual announcement, and I think that my estimate of his chances has gone down a little bit since the announcement because it was so weak. And you also have, you know, his children weren't there, for example. You know, Ivanka has announced that she's staying out of politics this time around. Um, a number of the people who were his closer advisors are either um, – sitting out this time around because they got burned last time or may not be in a position to be influential in the campaign if they happen to be incarcerated or you know, fighting incarceration or if they happen to be fighting extradition from Venezuela or wherever they end up going. So, you know, he's going to have a tougher time of it, I think, but we should not um, underestimate his Absolutely connection not. With, with these people. Absolutely not. It's always wrong to underestimate your political opponent, especially when he's beaten the odds before. But uh, last night, uh, I was struck by the fact that the uh, Congress, of course, is busy lining up to, uh, to serve and to uh, deal with a lame duck session and then mm -hmm. uh, a new session where the Republicans are going to have control of the House of Representatives. Do you know how many members of Congress actually made it to the Trump announcement? 
I don't. I was just thinking control is a strong word for what the Republicans are going to have in the House. <laughs> right. Okay. But, but, um, but I, 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 I think a majority. <laughs> no, there, there was not a majority. There, there was one member of Congress uh, who actually made it to the announcement. His name was, was Madison it? Cawthorn. Oh yeah, that guy. Yes. Yeah. yeah and well, he's he's the only one. He and he lost in a primary. And uh, but yeah. but he was there and and uh, you know, a lot of folks have, have thought that the, the bad performance in the midterm was really going to be the last nail in Trump's coffin because a lot of these candidates that were close to him and he enthusiastically supported didn't win. But if losing an election were enough to take him off the scene, uh, his career would have ended in 2018 or 2020 at the very latest. Uh, the idea that Trump is going to be taken out by an election in which he was not a candidate, I think, is, is really wishful thinking on the part of a lot of people. You know, a lot of folks in the Republican you know, so-called establishment, including people who used to be close to Trump, and in some ways still are, are staying away for the moment. But we've seen this before. You know, after January 6th, you have you know, Lindsey Graham and all these people saying, oh, this is it. This is the final straw. I'm done with this guy. And, you know, two weeks later, they're like, well, I'm not really done with this guy. And um, they, are, they are followers, not leaders, and they will go wherever the mob goes. And Trump is still the mob's favorite guy. Okay, I, what I love in your column, and a column's posted at our uh, website at michaelmedved.com, is you talk about in the Trump cult's theology, Mr. Trump is a god with a dual nature. He is simultaneously the macho, swaggering hero and the eternal victim at the mercy of the same powerful forces, elites, that his followers believe themselves to be victimized by. He used. Uh, he he said that he was a victim. Uh, yeah, one yeah, of I think we, you read my column. I must must have, because he yeah, said yeah. three times, "I am a victim," and and yeah. uh, that's kind of an unusual place to start. But I think that your your insight uh, uh, pegs it and predicts it. Yeah, I think that you know Trump's. Um, it, it is kind of a weird thing where he's you know this untouchable tough guy, but. You know, oh, but the New York Times is very unfair to me, and this is the hardest thing of my life, or that, you know, National Review is very unfair to me, or that Jonah Goldberg is very unfair to me. And I think that, um, you know, this disconnect between him seeing himself as this kind of Olympian figure, but also this figure who's always getting hurt and treated unfairly and treated unkindly by people and institutions that really shouldn't matter if you are this, you know, kind of swaggering God King as he presents himself as being. But I think that this identification between Trump and the Trump element is really based on that, that um, they feel that they are people who have been untreated, treated unfairly by the world, that they are humiliated and condescended to by various powerful people and institutions and whatnot. And Trump's appeal is not the fact that he promises to win elections or to wield political power in any kind of effective way, which he never really did, even though he was president of the United States for four years. His appeal is that he offers to inflict that humiliation on their enemies. As and, a, which, um, which is a fascinating insight. Let me ask you very yeah. quickly in the time we have left. Uh, you talked about the Democrats nominating a can of tuna uh, and uh, uh, against President Trump and uh, the, that they uh, basically it doesn't matter. Republicans are going to vote for Republicans. Uh, who do you think the most effective Democratic opponent would be if uh, President Trump is the nominee? And who's the most effective Republican alternative? Uh, gosh, that's a, that's a tough question. On the Democratic side, I just assume the nominee, unless something happens to his health, it's going to be Joe Biden. I think that the midterms um, 
will silence a lot of the critics in his party who thought that he was weighing them down and he was kind of a political millstone. Um, it'll depend on what happens with inflation. Um, Republican alternatives to Trump are really difficult to uh, picture um, other than DeSantis, who seems to have a kind of cultural resonance, because of what it would take to be a good general election candidate hurts you in the Republican primary rather than helping you. Kevin Williamson, why Trump could win again, as columns posted at uh, michaelmedved.com. We'll be right back. Michael Medved show. There are a bunch of news items today with the beginning of the presidential campaign. And sorry, it is the beginning of the presidential campaign for 2024. Too soon, too soon, people say, well, again, it uh, takes people away from talking about the disappointments uh, for the Republicans in the midterm elections. And the, uh, the big news um, that you're hearing today is... Uh, the Hill magazine uh, website has a headline that says 65% in new poll say Trump should not run again. But you know what? I mean, President Trump would call that fake news. It's a little bit misleading. Let, let me just share that with you and uh, what, what this really is about. A Politico morning consult poll showed that 53% of registered voters believe he definitely should not run, while 12% more say he probably shouldn't run. So the people who think he should probably definitely should not run or probably should not run, that comes to a total of 65%. Less than 20% of respondents said he should definitely run. Wow while uh, only 12% said he probably should, so that comes to 32%. But that's 32% of everybody. That includes Democrats. It includes independents. And yes, Democrats and independents get to vote, but I don't think President Trump is uh, planning to do very well in building his candidacy based on Democratic voters. What he's based upon is, I'm going to win the Republican nomination. And a majority of Republican respondents in the Politico Morning Console poll said they wanted Trump to run. With 61%, this is of Republicans saying he definitely or probably should. Only 35% of Republicans said he should not run. What this goes to is exactly what uh, Kevin Williamson was arguing about, which is that uh, look, uh, right now, it's easy to scoff at uh, Trump and to talk about the very, very somber tone, really. And it was a somber tone, emphasizing that America is in decline and uh, that we have to make America great and glorious again. But uh, you can look at that uh, announcement of candidacy all you want. And the reality is that in a brand new poll, a majority of Republicans, and it's a, a big majority, uh, think that Trump uh, should run. Only 35% of Republicans say he shouldn't. That means that you've got 
uh, two-thirds of Republicans, really, who are at least open to the idea of his candidacy. They, they actually want him to run among Republicans. The uh, poll also showed that uh, only 40 percent of the public in general views Trump favorably. That's worse than Biden. Uh, 58 percent of registered voters see Trump unfavorably. That's worse than Biden. That poll was taken uh, recently. It's November 10th through 14th. Uh, with, with all of that going on, the, uh, the question is, okay, how did Republicans respond to Trump's big announcement last night, this speech that was going to be the most significant speech in all of our history? which is a little bit audacious. And by the way, not that many people saw it. I mean, I've been talking about, about it because I, I went had to go to a screening last night for an interesting movie in which, by the way, President Trump is a character. Uh, it's a film called She Said. It's actually about the expose of uh, hashtag Me Too problems in Hollywood. And in any event, um, I, uh, I watched the the speech as i mentioned before on c-span which ran it in its entirety even in fox news they tuned out of it and it wasn't featured on any of the networks uh and in fact on on fox news tuning into fox uh, late at night they were they were talking about guess what the border uh not talking about president trump's speech where he also spoke uh, to some great extent about the border but this is a, a collage of a bunch of um, uh, Republicans, including Mitt Romney, a, a senator from Utah. He'll be up for re-election next time. Uh, John Thune, who just got re-elected uh, almost uh, three to one over his Democratic opponent. And Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming. Uh, listen, this is their reaction to Trump's announcement last night. Clip 22. I think President Trump was a uh, an albatross uh, on the electoral prospects of some of our candidates. It's clear that uh, you know running on relitigating the 2020 election is not a winning strategy. Currently, Ron DeSantis is the leader of the Republican Party, whether he wants to be or not. Uh, well, that's uh, fairly strong. One of the things that was notable about the president's speech and all 108 minutes of it, and um, that I think is very much worth considering, is the fact that he didn't talk about stolen election at all. He did talk about changing the way we conduct elections, not recognizing that each state has to do this separately. It's not a federal responsibility. But he talks about no more paper ballots, no more early voting, only voting on Election Day itself, and requiring voter ID. Now, you can debate all of those changes, but again, you have to debate them on a statewide level. Speaking of which, uh, this breaking news from the Wall Street Journal, Carrie Lake, the defeated Republican nominee for governor in Arizona, and she lost by about almost 20,000 votes. She... Um, is undecided on how to proceed after Katie Hobbs win an Arizona governor race. Carrie Lake has not conceded the Arizona gubernatorial race and was undecided about how to proceed as of today, said a person familiar with the thinking. The Republican, a former TV anchor, ran a campaign closely aligned with President Donald Trump and repeated 
endlessly, in fact, his false claims of fraud in the 2020 election. This is the Wall Street Journal writing. On Wednesday, her campaign on Twitter called for a new election in the state's most populous county. You can't do that. The Associated Press projected earlier this week that Democratic Secretary of State Katie Hobbs won the race. Carolyn Wren, a senior advisor to Ms. Lake, said the campaign had no update on her plans. How do you possibly get a state to uh, order a new election in its most populous county? For goodness sake. The, um, uh, uh, the, uh, on the Hill, they are reporting that Fox News last night briefly cut away from live continuous coverage of former President Trump's speech announcing his candidacy for president in 2024, while MSNBC gave the speech no live screen time. The network, which has shied away from covering Trump rallies and other events featuring him live since he left the White House, carried Trump's remarks for longer than any of the three major cable channels before it broke away. We're talking about Fox News now. CNN also carried Trump's remarks live, but they cut away after about 20 minutes to offer analysis from a political panel and, and fact checks of the various claims Trump made during his speech on issues ranging from energy to the results of the midterm elections. Um, <clears throat> Part of what uh, uh, basically has been fact-checked big time uh, is um, Trump's claim that uh, uh, basically that he won uh, all of the uh, elections in which he played a role and that he uh, basically had won 252, I think he said, of the people that he had endorsed had actually been elected in the midterms. Uh, look, it's... It's one of those things where that's kind of um, uh, giving a, a fairly easy target to fact checkers, don't you think? Uh, coming up, we are going to share some highlights from uh, the speech, which was billed as the most important speech in our history. And uh, the uh, world is booming, not necessarily economically, but baby booming, now over $8 billion. <clears throat> And many are asking... Uh, how is it possible that 8 billion people are going to sustainably be able to share this planet? Uh, we will talk about this with a population expert, somebody who's been writing meaningfully about this issue for a long time, Nick Eberstadt of uh, the American Enterprise Institute. And uh, more news about random stabbings that never get the same kind of attention as random shootings. Uh, here and abroad, uh, one daylight attack in a Target store in L.A. It's amazing and it's significant. Yes, it is. In this greatest nation on God's green earth.